HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm Sam Edwards. I'm third generation cure master from S. Wallace Edwards and Sons in Surrey, Virginia. We support the Heritage Radio Network because we believe in the cause and what they're doing. They're supporting family-raised livestock, small family farms, uh, certified humane, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free. Basically, we take the products from Heritage Foods USA and make them into uh, Serrano-style hams, prosciutto-style hams, bacon, sausage, like my grandfather did. You can find us at Surrey Farms. Dot com or virginiatraditions.com All right, it's Thursday, 1 o'clock, and you are tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report, and I am your host, Aaron Fairbanks. And today we want to welcome back Jesse Laflamme of Pete and Jerry's. Jesse, welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming on again. Hey, thank you for having me. Awesome. So what's happening up in Monroe, New Hampshire? How's the weather? It's a little uh, gloomy here. Yeah, it's, it's snowing right now. It's starting to get cold. We've been so lucky, but now it's changing. <laughs> Winter's here. I know. I say it's like hard to complain about the nice weather, but there is something that feels kind of wrong. <laughs> <laughs> true. Very true. Um, so we had you on the show back in December where we learned a ton about uh, the work you guys do up at Pete and Jerry's producing eggs. And I, I wanted to bring you back on because as we moved our way through the show, I, I realized I just have kind of a ton more questions for you. So I think we're going to probably skip around a, a little bit today and touch on um, a couple of the things that I think got left out of the first show. So I'm going to just jump right in. Are you ready? Sure. Awesome. So um, one of the things we were talking about last time was the the barns um, and how how you guys have moved away from um, raising the or maybe you guys never did actually do cage raised hens and I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about why is it that that is the the preferred model um, versus doing you know chickens roaming in an open barn or, or out on pasture for 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 the industrial model like why why do people choose caging because um, it, it seems a little unclear to me anyway yeah no it's a, that's a very good question and and I actually we did 
we did have caged chickens at one time. That's that's what I kind of grew up with uh, when I was when I was much younger. So I'm I'm very familiar with what it looks like and how it operates and and why. And it's true. I mean, the vast majority of of egg laying hens in this country uh, are kept in battery style cages, is what they call them. And I think you know I mentioned last time that they, these things just keep getting bigger and bigger. Where the, the largest that I've heard of is 650,000 chickens in one barn. But a lot of them are being built, you know, 250,000 chickens in one barn. And they, they're sort of skyscrapers inside of a, 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 a big shed. Um, they have catwalks between the levels, and, you know, there'll be 12 levels of cages high. And really the, the reason that the egg industry, uh, egg production, has gone that way, uh, a couple of reasons. One of them, you know, it's, it's, it's management. Um, the hens can't go anywhere. They can't do anything. Uh, it's it's incredibly controlled environment. I mean, they, they know exactly how much grain they're putting out in front of them. Can't put out too much, you know, not putting out too too little. Uh, climate control, I mean, everything's sort of mechanical and down to an exact science. Um, so it, it takes, you know, less of the nuances that farmers generally have um, in terms of, you know, the, the relationship with their, their animals. Um, the other component is that, that, you know, there are so few egg farmers in the country now, because uh, the, the segment of farming is just consolidated and consolidated, you know, where a small farm has almost a million hens now, uh, you know, it allows, allows these farmers uh, or agribusinesses to have huge concentrated operations and just have massive output. So those are really kind of the, the two main reasons uh, why, why it's gone into cages. And we found, you know, chickens, I guess they, they, they still lay eggs in, in cages in this industrialized system. So we've kind of, again, in my opinion, pushed it way too far, um, but they've pushed it to the limit on, on industrializing and getting away from traditional farming methods. Right. So, I mean, essentially, it's, it's still, you're kind of testing the limits of, of what the animal can really endure and, and pushing that to the maximum as far as, you know, production really being the main goal is you'll you'll go as far as you can go as long as the eggs are still being produced in a, like a reasonable volume. Um, what about uh, the process of debeaking? We didn't touch on that at all last time, but that is something I feel like you you hear a lot about is is farms choosing to to debeak their chickens. And is that an issue for egg layers and for meat birds, or 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 is it just like more for one type of bird than the other? It is. It's more of an issue, and that's another good question because people have a lot of concerns about this, and there's a lot of misinformation. Um, it's a bigger issue for egg layers than it is for the for the meat chickens, and and it, the practice has changed a lot. Um, you know, it kind of got the name debeaking um, back in the day because it was it was really awful and severe, um, and that's changed some. Not all companies. Um, have changed their practices, and some do it quite severely. And they, it's going to sound horrible, but they actually use it to control the, the feed intake of the hens. They sort of make it harder for them to eat a lot of grain. It's pretty horrible. Um, and that's, that's sort of debeaking. Um, what's generally done as a practice now is beak trimming. Okay. And, and it's actually, um, you know, I'm not trying to play with semantics here and things. It's, it, it, I mean, there really is kind of a difference, and, and there really is a difference. And it's actually, I mean, just, again, full disclosure, to be honest, it's a practice that we, we use, um, and not because we want to, and it is, it's an expense and other things, but it's actually a practice that's approved 
um, and advised by, by Certified Humane, by Humane Farm Animal Care, and, and virtually all the, the humane organizations um, that, that approve egg production. Right. And, but it has to be done at, at 10 days of age or less. Okay. That's, that's, that's the critical issue. So at that point, the, the, the beak on a hen is, or a chick, really, at that point is, is not hardened yet, completely hardened yet. There's, you know, nerve endings aren't completely formed, things like that. And it's, and it's also the practice uh, has to be done a certain way where it's just the very, very, very sharp tip of the beak. And, and most people, um, you know, don't realize that the chickens uh, will very often have a, you know, the, if the beak isn't trimmed, it's actually almost like a, a hook, like an eagle's beak, if you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's, as wonderful as, <laughs> as chickens are, I mean, they're awesome, but they... It is a little bit of a, a school playground, uh, even in a cage-free and even in a free-range, you know, true pastured environment. Um, you know, there's a hierarchy, and they can be there can be some bullies. There's those those Type A personalities, and you know, that I see that love to run outside first thing in the morning. Uh, you know, they 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 also like to uh, <laughs> let their neighbors know who's boss, and so they can you know they can really gang up on a chicken that might either be a little smaller, look a little funny, you know, her comb isn't quite as big as the others. Um, they can really kind of be mean to her. So by removing that, that really sharp and just the very sharp tip, uh, 10 days of age or less, they, they can do far, far less harm. And that's why it's, uh, you know, sort of been approved and, and recommended by these humane agencies. Right. And I mean, I think that is like a really common practice uh, across all, all aspects of livestock, whether it's, you know, trimming tails or or looking at horns and and kind of different um ways of of creating a, a system that's a little bit easier to manage when you're raising animals in a larger than kind of back backyard scenario and and i know i've definitely seen um i think both varieties of of the deep beaking where you have a more extreme and a less extreme to me i guess it always looked like you know, women who have like really long kind of scary fingernails. And then maybe if you like just trim the tip of that was kind of. <laughs> right. Well, that's actually, the, that's the analogy that we try to try to give to people is that, you know, in terms of what it does to the chick, I'm, you know, I'm not a chick who's had this done, so, but I can, but I, I can tell you, I've observed, I've observed a lot of it. And, and what happens that the, the tip is, is trimmed and then the chick is set down on the ground and it's amazing to watch them just, you know, they'll either run, run right over, they look completely unaffected. They'll run right over to the water, and they'll they'll tap on the water, or they'll run and eat. You know, with that that tip that was just trimmed. So in my mind, I mean, it's you know they're not showing pain in any way. They're not showing a change in behavior. So, you know, I I I feel I feel okay about it. I feel right. good about it. You know, that we're not harming them. And is that something that you have someone on the farm who's trained to do, or do you have to bring in someone outside the farm to do that process for you? We actually have somebody. We we used to have somebody uh, outside come in. We actually trained somebody inside the farm because we wanted. We really wanted to control it and make sure it was done right. Um, so so we brought that process to our <laughs> inside to the inside, uh, which has been good. And, yeah. And as you said, that is part of. Um, you guys are certified humane, and it is. It's nice, I think, to have organizations like that who have really taken the time to to look at how those types of practices impact the animals. And I think for us as consumers, you know, you hear kind of in the news, uh, the, like the horse stories. And, and so it's, I think, important to differentiate uh, the levels of the process. And then I, I think also really encourage people to, to, you know, find a farm where they can visit and evaluate the, the process for themselves and, and, and make a choice based on that. Um, 
moving on, I wanted to talk about, I, I think that you said in the barns where the chickens spend kind of most of their life, the floor is covered with, uh, is it wood shavings or what's the, what is like the, actually, the ground? Yeah, it's actually, it's actually a combination of two, two surfaces, really. Um, there's a slatted area, which is usually underneath feeders and waterers and that sort of thing. And then there's a scratch area, which is wood shavings and sawdust. And, and so they're sort of two important areas. The, and the slatted area is also, in addition to being, you know, underneath the, the food and water, it's also close to the nest. So, of course, hens are not discriminant about where they poop. And, uh, and it, you know, they, the, the slats actually help take care of that and help clean off their feet and things, especially before they go into a nest to, to lay eggs. So, so everything drops through the slats and is, is taken out of the barn, uh, actually, in most cases, twice a day. So the air, air is really good in there. And, so forth, but the uh, the scratch area is really just as critical, and that's that's a cool area. Um, and, the, and we sort of have the same surface in the uh, the winter gardens that we have on our farm, which is you know the screened-in porch for chickens. So they, you know, that's just a huge natural behavior for chickens. I mean, they want to, and, and it's something that's denied chickens big time in, in cages. They they want to scratch around. You know, they want to they want to look for things, and you know, and bugs and insects and weird looking, you know, whatever they can find, whatever whatever they're curious about. So. It's, it's amazing to watch them sort of all day long. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll do rounds between nesting and, and feeding and roosting and, you know, hit the scratch area and dust bathe and, and do all the cool things that chickens do. Yeah, well, so they have a actually, schedule to keep, too, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's a, you know, and that, that scratch area, is, it's part of the requirements of certified humane. I mean, 15%, at least 15% of the house has to be scratch area, and, and it's, it's crucial. It's um, good. So you mentioned that that the kind of the chicken waste is removed twice a day, and and I know that is kind of an, another one of those issues you hear a lot in the media about um, uh, you know larger or you know medium scale uh, operations and kind of the waste that that these groups of animals create. How do you guys deal with that, and and how does that compare to maybe the way some larger facilities um, handle the the waste products from the chickens? We'll say it's it's uh, it's definitely changing. Uh, even for the bigger facilities, they're they're having to do a better job, uh, just because of environmental regulations, but uh, and, and enforcement, <laughs> a big thing too. Um, but you do hear these you know ridiculous you know ten million gallon lagoon that broke open and all that stuff that's still going on. I mean, it's just so massive. How do they you know how do they truly deal with it in a responsible way? And of course, we're I mean we're so much smaller. Uh, you know, we've developed a, a regional network of, of farmers that, uh, that think our chicken manure is gold, which is, I mean, it's great. We've actually, um, we've actually started selling it, you know, at the farm. It's not a, not a lot of revenue, but it's, you know, it's, it's something. And it's such, you know, chicken manure is just incredible, incredible fertilizer. And the nitrogen is unbelievably high, micronutrients, you know, all, all those great things. So it's, it's really great for growing all types of crops and, and great for compost. We're finding a good use for it. We're very lucky. Yeah, that's nice. So, um, how how old are the hens? I mean, what it what's kind of the what's the with the life cycle as far as uh, for an egg producer? And can you talk maybe a little bit about what happens in retirement? Sure. <laughs> and typically, an egg laying hen uh, reaches retirement seventy six to eighty weeks of age. And the life cycle, um, and actually it takes a lot longer to raise a, a day-old chick up to egg-laying age than people realize. Uh, it's usually it's about between 17 and 20 weeks um, to, to raise them up where they're mature enough to start laying eggs. 
they usually start laying small eggs and medium eggs, and it takes them a while to get up to the, the larger eggs that everybody likes and, and extra large and jumbo. Um, and that's quite a bit different than, than the meat chicken industry, which is which is really amazing to me that they, they actually sort of have them full-grown at, I think it's seven weeks of age. and Yeah, like less on, than yeah. half. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah, and if they keep them any longer, some of them fall over and can't get back up or they're, they start to have trouble because... Uh, that's an interesting industry, but uh, yeah, it takes us quite a while. And, it's, and you know, honestly, it's one of the people wouldn't think about it, but it's one of the costs of the egg is actually you know raising raising the day old chick uh, to the point you know feeding feeding them and keeping them warm and, and comfortable to the point where they're laying eggs. So we we then move them into the the egg laying house because it's in a different uh, environment. There's there's nests and things like that that they don't have in the uh, the growing houses, and that's you know that's a fifty. 54 to 58 week, a little over a year and a month period that they're in in there laying eggs, and uh, then they go to retirement. Which uh, I don't know if I, you know, spoke about it last time, but uh, our hens, because they're they're cage free, and especially during the summer when they're going out, uh, they they're really well feathered. Um, they they still look like good looking chickens for the most part. Right. Uh, at the end of that, as opposed to cage chickens that don't. So um, we have a, a couple different markets that uh, we sell them to for meat, essentially. Um, so they go to one of them is uh, you know for organic. Uh, they actually go for organic um, soup meat and broth and that type of thing because the meat's very different than the, the meat chicken meat. And then uh, the other market, they actually they take a trip to New York. Uh, and there's there's a, it's a smaller market, but there's there's live markets where um, people want to see the hen that uh, they're going to. Purchase, you know, sort of slaughtered on spot and and so forth, or they buy the hen live for further lay and things. Uh, sort of an interesting market, but uh, so that's that's sort of the cycle. But what happens uh, when the hens are are in the hen house? Uh, you know, that 20 to, to 58 week period, uh, they they're laying a lot of eggs to begin with, and the shells are you know, dark brown and they're thick and they look great. And towards the end, the eggs start to get they get bigger and bigger, um, but the hen is basically Kind of program to put the same amount of shell on on the egg, and it's, and it's just getting bigger and bigger. So the shell gets thinner and thinner, and the hens start laying fewer and fewer eggs. So you really kind of you know as as a farmer, we you know you reach a point where they're just not productive anymore, and they're not producing eggs that people like. I and mean, it's probably one of our bigger complaints that you know the shells were a little bit thin this time. You know that we we might get from customers. And it's like, Sorry, she was old. Right. <laughs> so, Older, so uh, older. <laughs> she's older. So uh, that's, uh, that's when they retire. Well, we are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about uh, that grading and sizing and kind of what goes into, um, you know, how the shell looks and the composition of the egg. Well, so we'll be back in just a minute. And how are things with you? I love you. But very soon it's time to go.
All right, we're back. You are tuned in to the Farm Report on the Heritage Radio, and we are talking eggs and chickens with Jesse LaFlamma, Pete and Jerry's. So, Jesse, before the break, um, you know, we were kind of talking about the, the life cycle of a chicken, and you mentioned as, as the chickens, as the hens grow older, the, the eggs get bigger. So I wanted to, to kind of understand that process a little bit more as far as when you go to the store, you know, eggs have grades, but then there's also sizes and... And can you talk about like w- how those differences are demarcated and then what that means as far as um, from the chicken, like do d- different chickens lay different sizes or grades and what kind of goes into those systems? Sure. And uh, in terms of uh, the, the grade of the, the eggs, it's actually a, well, it's a number of factors, but, but uh, which includes the shell quality, you know, a, a low sort of sandpapery shell thin, light, ugly shell will definitely lower the grade of an egg. Um, but it's also the, the big component is the freshness. Okay. So, you know, grade, a grade AA egg, which we, you know, most of our, our eggs are, what that really amounts to is how quickly, you know, the, the eggs go to the supermarket from, from the point of lay. And, you know, with, I mean, for quality, that's, that's critical in our mind. And that's actually determined largely by um, an air cell in the egg anybody can identify it's, it's usually at the fatter end of the uh, the egg uh, the rounder end when you crack it and there's a little bubble at the the back end and that starts out at about the size of a dime and grows to the size of a quarter or bigger over the course of a month and a half uh, so that's that's really the, the determinant there um, but in terms of, of sizing and, and things like that it's actually um, a lot of people don't realize this but it's, it's performed by weight so uh, you know, so many minimum grams of weight for a, a large egg, uh, so many for an extra large, and so forth. And as I was saying, as the hens get older, they tend to progress and lay more extra large eggs and fewer medium and fewer large, and then all the way up to jumbo. Uh, and, of course, some hens from, from day one are sort of, uh, they might be the bigger girls in the house, and they're, they're laying extra large uh, from the get-go. And they might even go up to what we call super jumbos. And those are uh, those are so big they're they're hard to uh, get into an egg carton. Sometimes we give <laughs> a lot of those away, but uh, it's an interesting process in, in how uh, you know the eggs are, are sized and, and moved. But uh, and, and to your question, you know there definitely are uh, variations in the, the breeds and, and what size eggs they're sort of more uh, inclined to lay. Uh, but a lot of the, you know that most of them sort of aim for that uh, that large sweet spot. But it can be, it can be changed too, uh, depending on light stimulation. Actually, believe it or not, when when we're growing the the hens um, up to that you know, 17, 18 week period, they're uh, they're growing and they're they're adding you know to their body weight. And if you uh, stimulating them with light, um, which basically uh, is, is convincing a bird that it's it's spring and it's time to start laying eggs. And if you do that a little too early, they haven't put on the body weight that they need to lay a large egg. So through the course of their, their life, they'll lay smaller eggs. Uh, so that's, that's always one of the, the challenges in being a farmer and taking care of the hens and, and making sure that you know, things are right when, when it's time for them to lay. Huh. So, so let me make sure I'm understanding you correctly. Because I, ha- you know, I have heard about essentially you know, tr- tricking the chickens into laying eggs by controlling the amount of light that they see throughout the course of a day. Be, I mean, because it is a biological process. So, I mean, if, if you're thinking, you know, if I'm a chicken, I don't want to like lay eggs in a time when it's going to be like dangerous for my eggs to, 
for my babies, basically. So the you use you use light to control both you can control both how how they grow but also how often are they do or don't lay or am i understanding that right yeah or or when they and it gets even more interesting actually when the when the day old chicks come in uh, when we first when we first receive the chicks um they they're given it's in the first week it's it's 20 hours of light in a day a lot um, but that, don't, that slowly steps down to eight hours as they're growing, um, you know, about an hour a week. And it's, it's amazing, but that step down actually has as much of an effect on uh, when the hens will start laying eggs and, and consequently what size they will be uh, as that sort of step up of light from eight hours uh, all the way up to 16 and a half, um, which is where they're sort of capped when they're, when they're laying through that entire uh, lay period which is, you know, up here the longest day of summer. Um, so that step-up period, is it's just that. It's, it's convincing the hen, convincing the bird that springtime is here uh, and it's time to, uh, time to start laying eggs. So that's kind of how the, the process works. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that. Wow. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I didn't realize that it was uh, tuned into kind of both aspects of, of the, the chicken growth and also the egg production. Um, well, speaking a little bit more about the eggs, um, you know, one of the things that I feel like you've been seeing a little bit more uh, here in New York at the markets is is pullet eggs. And I've heard them kind of upsold as like um, specialty eggs. And I've also heard them downsold. You know, I've seen them offered for higher prices because they're pullets. And I've also seen them offered for lower prices because they're pullets. So can you tell us a little bit about what exactly makes a pullet egg a pullet egg or if that's the right terminology <laughs> and what do you guys do with them and, and then i mean as far as from a eating standpoint i mean how different they might be from like a, a regular you know large egg sure uh, actually uh, to be honest pullet eggs are my favorite and it's it's completely uh just subjective um <laughs> i don't have any any background any any uh anything to back this up but I think they're more flavorful than, than other types of uh, other sizes of eggs. And I don't know if it's uh, just a concentration of nutrients or what, but, but those pullet eggs, of course, is the first, the very first eggs that the hens are, are laying. And I, you know, for some reason, it seems like the yolks are darker and, and they're just more flavorful. So, uh, by and large, in, in the you know conventional egg industry, um, the, the pullet eggs rarely make it to market. They're usually uh, they're usually sold as sort of undergrades and, and go for liquid egg processing. Uh, they're pasteurized and go into baking goods. So, so it's not often that, that people get to see them or, or, or taste them. And you know, it's, I mean, they're they're great. They're not not hugely different, but uh, you know, like I said, it's definitely definitely my my favorite. I mean, one thing that's funny about pullets too, um, they're they're prone to uh, what I call them misfires, which uh, are double yokers, and I'm sure uh. just about everybody's familiar with those. Uh, so you, you might get a jumbo egg or even a kind of funny, long-looking, large egg every once in a while. And that's a, that's a pullet misfire where, where basically she dropped two yolks into the, the egg and, and made an egg out of it, uh, which is always pretty cool. Those are also my favorite. <laughs> so, so as far as, you know, just kind of thinking about the general structure of an egg, can you take us, I mean, the parts that I'm familiar with, you know, there's a shell, obviously, there's a white, there's the yolk, there's the air sac that you mentioned, and then there's the chalazy cords, which kind of hold the egg in place. Um, and I know in the in the last show, you talked a little bit about uh, cloudy whites being an indicator of freshness, but can can you say if we missed any kind of 
uh, physical components of the egg and then a little bit about what those different parts represent from a biological standpoint or a nutrition standpoint because you know I know often you know diet people who are on diets are looking to eat just the whites but then there's more nutrients in the yolk and you know, that's like eight questions in one, so you can take that in any direction you want. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, and actually, I mean, you you really did cover, you know your eggs. Uh, you covered, you really covered all the important components. And, uh, you know, of course, the, the it's always the, in my mind, it's always the white the white yolk debate. And for our eggs, we, we feed um, the flaxseed that uh, enhances the omega-3. People always ask, you know, do I, do I have to eat the... Uh, the yolk to get the omega-3. Yeah, you do, <laughs> but it's not that bad. Uh, people don't, don't realize, um, I mean, two, two amazing components of the egg. I mean, the, the white, of course, has most of the, uh, the protein uh, of the egg, and it's, I mean, it's an amazing low-calorie source of, of protein and one of the best proteins that you can possibly find in, in the world. But uh, the yolk, you know, it's, it, it, it gets a bad rap, but it shouldn't. And, you know, there's the whole cholesterol thing, but, of course, we found out that uh, eggs, the cholesterol in eggs, really, it, it's it's not the way people think. I mean, it's it's not as harmful. It's not harmful, really, um, in the way that people think. And there was a Harvard School of Public Health, you know, over 10 years, 100,000 people, and they determined that an egg a day has absolutely no effect on heart disease. You know, it's, oh, wow. no correlation. Uh, Harvard, really cool. yeah, okay, I've heard of them. Yeah, <laughs> and it, and it, you know. It's a, it's a huge study. It just doesn't end with, with a good name. It just doesn't get any better than that. Uh, so we're starting to get out about that. But the, and the, so the, the yolk, you know, has all these, these incredible, um, you know, polyunsaturated fats, like the good ones. Um, and, and, of course, in our case, the omega-3 fatty acids. Um, and then it's got, you know, lutein and xanthophyll, and, you know, which we're finding is actually good for, um, for your eyes. I mean, it can actually prevent macular degeneration and all kinds of, kinds of issues, uh, so it's a great source, source for that. But another thing that people don't realize, and it's cool because eggs are, you know, have eggs at breakfast, uh, is that eggs actually, and the yolk is, is a part of this, make you feel more satiated throughout the day. Uh, studies have found basically if you have an egg in the morning, even just one, you're likely to consume fewer calories of food throughout the course of the day. You, it just makes you feel more full. So... I mean, it's a really, it's a really cool food that got an unfortunate bum rap in the '80s, but it's uh, it's, it's coming back. It's coming back. It's coming well, back. yeah. So you see the. I mean, I, I'm sure everyone's kind of familiar with the incredible edible egg slogan, and I, I guess it's the American Egg Council. How? Who? You know, where? Where is that? Are those councils? I'm kind of always a little confused as like who's who's behind that and. Um, Maybe you know we have uh, just a few minutes here wrapping up. If you can talk a little bit about um, how you guys interact with an organization like that, or if there are any other kind of like um, you know policy concerns that are particular to to egg producers that maybe our listeners should be aware of or thinking about. Sure, no, it's a it's a good question too, and I actually I am actually a a. Uh, I'm on the American Egg Board. I'm a board member now, just in the last year. Oh, congratulations! And I think I'm the first. Thanks. I think I'm the first. Um, I'm the first egg producer with without chickens in cages to be on the board, which is interesting. Uh, so the American Egg Board it's it's actually the USDA mandated program. So you know if you're if you're selling eggs from you know, a certain number of hens, government steps in and says, okay, you have to pay. Uh, it's actually it's, it's ten cents for every thirty dozen eggs. 
that, that you sell, um, and you have to contribute it towards the American Egg Board. Uh, being that it is a government, you know, sort of administered organization, um, it's it's generally quite unbiased. It's really a good source of information, and they also they fund the Egg Nutrition Center where where all this kind of good research and stuff is being done, uh, but it's very independent too. So the you know the, the American Egg Board um, egg promotion and you know they do all kinds of social media and partnering with chefs and just trying to educate people on on uh, eggs. You know, as as good good food in general, um, they are not allowed to favor one type of egg production, which is pretty cool. Um, they can't say that caged egg production is better than organic or cage free, or vice versa for that matter. Now, that's a little hard for them to do sometimes. I'll admit, and it makes it interesting being on the board uh, because I'm on the board with a bunch of the people with the big cages and stuff. But uh, they do a pretty good job with it, and and. Uh, and in terms of promotion and education, I think they do a really good job. Uh, they're getting the word out, so it's a it's a good source that people you know don't need to be suspicious of because it is made to be unbiased by the by the USDA. Um, huh. Interesting. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. I I feel like we're gonna have to have you back because I still have a list of like fifteen questions, um, and it, it's just such a treat to ch- to chat with you. And if people want to learn. Um, more about Pete and Jerry's, I can find you at www.peteandjerry's.com and, and you can find your eggs all, all over in the city. So you look for them in the clear uh, plastic containers. And um, you've been listening to The Farm Report. Tune in next week. We have uh, the crew from Real Time Farms in and it should be a great show. Jesse, thanks so much for coming on. Look forward to talking with you again soon, okay? Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.